him for a moment right now as his spirit is so rich and so real in this place. Lord, we surrender all to you, our blessed Savior. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I love your spirit and presence and power that I feel in this place right now. Oh, wonderful Savior, I praise you. I praise you. You're my God, my Savior, and my King. I honor you today. Hallelujah. 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 We are so delighted today to have each of you here with us. I feel such a sweet, powerful presence of the Lord here in this house this morning. You have heard me say it time and time again. Nothing that God does is by happenstance. Nothing that goes on here is by chance. But He has divinely orchestrated everything in His time and in His purpose. So we're so glad to have you here this morning. I do want to issue to you a special invitation to come and join us this evening at 5 p.m. here in the Fellowship Hall. And let's have a great time. We want you to just come together tonight, enjoy one another's company as we fellowship together celebrate the season and uh, just have a great time tonight as we uh, worship the Lord through our fellowship. Invite someone to come with you. You will have a great time and uh, you'll enjoy the presence of the Lord there this evening. I invite your attention this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'd like to read verses 14 and 15 in your hearing this morning before we get into the word of the Lord. Continuing in our series that I've been preaching from, and that's the necessity for us to live above spiritual mediocrity. Today I want to preach for just a few moments, if I may, about extravagant love. Everybody say extravagant. Extravagant love. Extravagant love. Paul writes, Now thanks be to God. Whew, I can't hardly read this that I want to shout. But thanks be to God who always, everybody say always, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Hmm. And through us diffuses, that means to pour out or permit to, or to cause to spread freely. Or your Bible might read manifest. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. One place in scripture refers to Jesus as the rose of Sharon. He says, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Let us pray. 
precious Savior, today, as we humbly come before the throne of grace, as always, I need you. I need thy holy anointing. Lord, as I surrender my thoughts and my mind and my physical being to your will and your purpose, I pray that each one here this morning will receive and hear your word as it goes forth. Help me to minister today without reservation. Oh God, and help me, Lord, to surrender totally to you as you minister through these lips today. And we'll give you the praise and the thanks for it all. It is in Jesus' name that we ask it right now. And everyone said amen. Amen. Everyone say it once again, extravagant love. And you may be seated. We will never rise above spiritual mediocrity without extravagant love. All of the knowledge that we might be able to ascertain, all of the good things that we might be able to ascertain will not circumvent our need for extravagant love. I want to preface this morning's message with a little story I run across some years ago, and it um, talks about many years ago there was a tourist group that made its way through the house where the great composer Ludwig Beethoven spent his last years. And upon reaching his conservatory, the guide paused for a moment and whispered reverently to the group that was in this tour and said, And here is the master's instrument. One of the tourists, a woman who was with the group, pushed her way to the piano and she sat down on the bench and she began to play one of Beethoven's sonatas. And much to the surprise of those that was in that group. And the lady said to the guy, you know, I suppose that there's a lot of people, a lot of folks who just love to play this piano. The guide gently placed his hands on hers in a very kind fashion, stilling the music, and he said to her, Well, when Ignacio Paderewski was here last summer, he was asked to play by several people that was among the group that he was with in the tour. However, he responded to the request, Oh no, I am not worthy to play the same keyboard as the great Beethoven. Now with that being said, in similar fashion, some scenes in Scripture seem almost too sacred to touch. There are moments of divine worship and it almost seems too sacred to even delve into and to get a hold of. Some are majestic psalms of praise while others like we're going to use in Mark chapter 14 verses 1 through 9 that I am using today for our subject content are sublime moments of just simple, extravagant devotion. So in the presence of the Holy Spirit... And with a reverent hush, let's take a moment this morning and let's just kind of journey back in time. And I want to visit the house where Jesus spent one of his last days. And we're going to eavesdrop on a moment of pure, extravagant love just prior to his crucifixion.
You see, extravagant is an adjective meaning going beyond reasonable limits. It means excessive or costing or spending too much, which this time of the year a lot of folks are familiar with. Man, I felt the Holy Ghost on that one. It means going beyond reasonable limits or being excessive or costing or spending too much. The backdrop to this expression of extravagant love juxtaposes tradition with treachery and religious observation with ruthless opposition. And here's what I mean by that. Our journey in biblical history takes us back to Jerusalem during the Passover celebration just prior to Jesus' crucifixion. And here's how Mark records it this way in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. He said, after two days, it was the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast lest there be an uproar of the people. You see, let me, let me just describe this uh, feast, this Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, perhaps in terms that will help enlighten you on the significance of what this meant to these people. It was like the 4th of July to Americans, if you will. Passover was to ancient Israel, was to ancient Israel as the 4th of July is to us and even more so. It was celebrating their time of liberation from Egyptian slavery and from Egyptian where they were kept, where they were held captive there against their will. It was a time of celebrating heartily, a time of singing great Jewish hymns and great Jewish songs, a time of reenacting the drama of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. You see, Jews from all over the known world at that time made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem each year to celebrate this pinnacle of religious holidays. It was a time of great celebration. It was a time of when mothers and fathers sit around with their children and told them the story of the great deliverance from Egypt to the promised land, who shared with their children the ancient stories of how God, through His mighty hand and through His mighty power, delivered the children of Israel from Egypt's bondage. It was a time of renewal. It was a time of refreshing. It was a time of great celebration. However, at this particular Passover, the mood of some is not so festive. Instead of celebrating a, uh, in this particular moment, there was a few influential religious leaders who are planning an execution. Behind the scenes, there's some things going on that was not normally part of the Jewish festival and the celebration of the Passover. There were some religious leaders who were planning and scheming, and they were putting a thing together that they might execute Jesus Christ. The atmosphere is tense, and the situation is extremely delicate. For as John in his Gospel notes... In John chapter 12 and verse 11, on account of him, that's about, talking about Jesus, on account of Jesus, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. And if the plan 
isn't smoothly and surreptitiously carried out, meaning done in a stealthy way, it could backfire in their faces so they were planning and scheming and ever being ever so cautious. Then in this particular scene, we are suddenly find ourselves transported just a few miles away from this scene of these religious leaders who were grouped around and they were planning and scheming in Jerusalem. And, and there they are plotting to scheme to a modest home a little ways away in the town called Bethany. Now I want you to notice how Mark identifies the home where Jesus is staying in verse, in chapter 14 in the first part of verse 3. He says, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper as he sat at the table. Hallelujah. He wasn't at the house of one of the great political leaders. He wasn't at the home of one of the high, or the high priest, but he was at the house of Simon the leper. And he sat at the table. And the home of Simon the leper whom Jesus had cleansed serves as one of the final reprieves for the Savior before he will at last rest his head on the splintered roughness of an old rugged cross. It is here that they are gathered together and you can just kind of imagine the atmosphere in the midst of all of this celebration and in the midst of all of this, yet there was kind of an in the background an atmosphere and a, and a looming concern and heaviness of heart because of some it was becoming more evident what was about to take place. John in his gospel account of this same event kind of fills in the blanks of the scenes more personal details by listing Simon's dinner guest for that particular evening. And Simon, as obvious, has invited not only Lazarus, whom Jesus had recently raised from the dead, but also Lazarus' sister, sisters rather, Mary and Martha, along with Judas Iscariot. Why, why, why would you invite Judas Iscariot? And probably several, if not all, of the other disciples were there that evening on that particular occasion. But as they sat around the table and they were there and the conversation was going back and forth and no doubt Jesus was talking to them about heavenly things and transforming uh, natural things into spiritual and heavenly truths into this serene setting. You know, knowing the hour was coming and the mood was kind of changing, and they, although they were celebrating, yet there was a time here where the mood was kind of heavy. And into this serene setting, a woman just silently enters, and she shows the Savior an extravagant display of love. Chapter 14, verse 3, the latter part of that says, A woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spicknard. And then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Now let me tell you that genuine spicknard, or nard as it were, was made from dry leaves of a rare and unique Himalayan plant. 
And the particular vase that she used, if it was like others used in that day to hold expensive ointment, was in itself no doubt a thing of beauty. And it held about, about 12 ounces, if you will, which was in that day a Roman pound. Now John in his gospel account tells us the woman is Mary. Mark doesn't mention her name, but John does. He lets us to know that this woman that came in was Mary, and she had come in there where Jesus was at, and she had She is at the feet. I want you to notice something about Mary. You may have you may have noticed this. You may not have. And as it relates to Mary, each time you see her, and she appears three times throughout the gospel writings, and every time she appears, you know where she's at? She's at the feet of Jesus. Boy, I could preach a while there. She's at the feet of Jesus. John also adds that she uses her hair to wipe his feet with the perfume. Now, the magnificence of this lavish display of love is she has come in and somehow she perceives the moment and she somehow through divine intervention she sees beyond the Feast of Unleavened Bread and beyond the Passover and she sees a time where it's now time for me to worship Him like I have never worshipped Him before. To demonstrate my love for Him like I have never demonstrated my love for Him before. It's time for me to pull out all the stops, pull out all the reservations, all the hesitations and she walks into this scene unannounced And she takes and she breaks the seal and opens the alabaster box of this extremely expensive oil and she pours it on the master's head. Twelve ounces. I wish I had twelve ounces of olive oil up here. I'd get somebody to come up here and let me pour it on her head. You'd see just how. It run down his head down his face and over his garments and down on the floor to his feet. Now the magnificence of this lavish display of love is marred by the murmur of some money-minded individuals who was among the guests that evening. In fact, verses 4 and 5 of Mark 14 enlighten us on what took place. It said, but there were some who were indignant among themselves. In other words, they were kind of talking back and forth. Has she lost her mind? This woman is nuts. How could she do such a hideous thing to take this beautiful vase of expensive ointment and just pour it on his head? It's such a waste. It's just unfathomable and unimaginable. And this conversation is going on among themselves while Mary's at the feet of Jesus wiping his feet with her hair and she's worshiping the King of glory, demonstrating an extravagant act of love. Some are saying, why was this fragrant oil wasted? Huh, what a waste. We could have sold it for more than 300 denarii and given it to the poor. And it says they criticized her sharply. 
They were very direct and very sharp and very to the point. Foolish woman, what, what are you thinking? What have you done? Let me share you a little food for thought. A denaria was equivalent to a day's wage back then. Therefore, the perfume would have been worth nearly a year's salary. It says it was worth about 300 denaria. And if a denaria was approximate to a day's wages, then she, near, she, she just poured over the head of Jesus a year's wages as it flowed down his body. I must tell you, on their unitarian scale, extravagant devotion really held little weight or value to these folks. Jesus intervened not only to stop the criticizing, but also to give special attention to Mary's extravagant devotion. Jesus told us to let her alone. Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? Was his question to them. Why are you criticizing and antagonizing her? She has done a good work for me. He said, she has done a good work for me. I could preach a long time there too, but... For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Jesus is saying she has acknowledged. She has acknowledged what's about to transpire. She has anointed me for burial. She has done a great thing here. She has acknowledged who I am and what's about to take place. Now, you know what I realize? Some of y'all may be planning on having dinner parties here at Christmas time. And I realize that the last subject anyone really wants discussed at a dinner party is death. You really don't want the guests kind of mangling around talking about death. It'll sure break the bring the mood down. It'll it'll go from a festive from a festive occasion till whoo. But that's what's taking place here. The subject has changed. And talk about quenching the festive mood. However, Mary had taken to heart the words of Jesus regarding his imminent death. It sunk in her heart, and she knew that this could be the final hour, the final time that she would have the occasion to just display her extravagant love and her appreciation. She, she was extending her appreciation to him before he ever went to the cross. She didn't suppress the subject. She faced it, and it grieved her to the point of tears and Jesus here has viewed her act of mourning as an early anointing for burial. No doubt the fragrance drenched his garment. No doubt the fragrance lingered in the fabric, reminding him subtly, even in the midst 
of betrayal, in the midst of desertion, in the midst of denials, in the midst of trials, in the midst of the beatings and the mockings of death, that there were those who truly loved Him. As they were leading Him through the streets of Jerusalem, He could still smell the lingering fragrance and aroma of that sweet oil that she had anointed Him with. He knew that there were those who loved Him purely and deeply and extravagantly. Now let me ask you some questions. How pure and how deep and how extravagant is your love for Jesus Christ? Have we praised Him and worship Him today with extravagance? Have we pulled out all of the stops? Have we... Hallelujah. Have we really expressed to the point of excessiveness our love and devotion to Jesus Christ. I'm just asking questions, okay? You answer them accordingly. I'm not going to answer for you. Have we really, out of, if it were your bottle of perfume, a bottle that cost you a year's salary, would you have emptied it on the Savior? Perhaps would you have sold it and given the money to the poor or just kept it for yourself or would you have divided it among maybe 10% for the Lord and a percentage for the poor and the remainder for yourself? How extravagant is our love for Jesus Christ? How extravagant has our praise and our worship been here this morning? Extravagant meaning going beyond reasonable limits. Amen. Going excessive or costing or spending too much. How extravagant has our devotion been to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that fills this place? Hallelujah. We'll never rise above the level of spiritual mediocrity until we praise and worship Him with extravagance. We'll never rise above the level of spiritual mediocrity until we love Him with extravagance. Hallelujah. We will never rise above that level of spiritual mediocrity until we give with extravagance. Not only of our time and resources, but of everything that we are. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I understand. I know that there are times for prudence. If I go like this, I know that. But there's also a time for extravagance. Amen. 
There's a time to sell the perfume for the poor, but there is also a time to shower it on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 According to John chapter 12 and verse 3, the fragrance filled the room. It soaked his garments, his hair. It was in Mary's hair. She wiped his feet with her hair. Saturated with that aroma and that fragrance. And Jesus said that this aromatic moment so pleasing to the nostrils of God would linger through time as a subtly fragrant reminder of this woman's love. This happened how many thousand years ago? And we're preaching about it today. How many preachers have donned the pulpit down through the past 2,000 years and preached about this extravagant display of love that Mary poured upon the Savior. Mark chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you without, without a shadow of a doubt, without hesitation, He said, I say to you wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. It will never be forgotten. It will never be dismissed. It will never go away. It will be forever recorded in the annals of the history of God's kingdom that this woman called Mary would honor Him with such extravagant love. Hallelujah. Year's wages she just took. Pop the seal, broke the vase. I don't know. You can. We could argue all day on just exactly the procedure it was used, but she just took it and dumped it all over his head, down his face, all over his garments, without concern for the cost involved, without concern of the fact of what might. All she knew was this was her moment to honor her Savior and to worship Him and to. Anoint him, and she wasn't going to let this occasion pass her by. I don't know whether Mary was an invited guest or not. Doesn't tell us. She may have just been one of those people coming to Christ the party, as it were. Are we given to him extravagantly? Or are we parceling out our praise and our worship? Well, I think I'll clap my hands a little bit today. I'm kind of feeling a little... Or are we lip-syncing? I'm being real cautious here, folks. Trust me, my, my flesh is wanting to go on a wild tangent. We... It has become so familiar to us that we go just through the 
motions of doing what we do. And we know that comes time for worship service that Brother Dave and all of these wonderful musicians and praise singers are going to have their act together if we don't. They're going to come up here and they're going to give it their best and they're going to give it their all and they're going to... Teaching like we heard this morning so oftentimes is just... I'll revere it as another Sunday morning lesson. When we've heard from the throne room of God. Hallelujah. Before I close the door on this scene from Scripture, please allow me to share this thought with you from a man by the name of Ken Jerry. Says the aroma of extravagant love, so pure, so lovely, flowing from the veined alabaster vase of Mary's broken heart, a heart broken against the hard reality of her Savior's imminent death. Mingled with tears, the perfume became by some mysterious chemistry of heaven, not diluted but more concentrated. Potent, potent enough behind the ears of each century for the scent to linger to this very day. Doubtless the fragrance absorbed by his garment as it flowed from his head accompanied Christ through the humiliation of his trials, the indignity of his mockings, the pain of his beatings, the inhumanity of his cross. Through the heavy smell of sweat and blood, a hint of that fragrance must have risen from his garment, or his garment until that shameful last, the garment was stripped and gambled away. And maybe, just maybe, it was that scent amid the stench of humanity rabbled around the cross that gave the Savior the strength to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Off. A little ways in the distance was Mary, her hair still soaked from the anointing oil that she had just bathed the Savior in a few hours before the aroma of the sweet rose of Sharon filled the crowd in the middle of an old rugged cross. And as Mary walked away from the cross, the same scent probably still lingered in this now limp hair that she used to dry her Savior's feet. A reminder of the love that spilled from his broken alabaster body, so pure, so lovely, so truly extravagant. When he hung suspended on the cross, friend, you talk about extravagant love. You talk about a love that's immeasurable. A love that goes and defies all human logic. And hanging there on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then Paul, so aptly pinned under the direction, as Brother Dave pointed out this morning in the adult class, he pinned 
And this is love, not that we love God, but that He first loved us. Hallelujah. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was a vase he never regretted breaking, nor did she. Again, I share with you this morning in closing the passage I read in your hearing at the opening of this morning's message. This time I want to read it from the New International Version. Paul writing, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. It is what it is. Friend, we bear the fragrance of the sweet rose of Sharon. So I ask you one last time, has your devotion to Jesus Christ in praise and in worship and giving and caring been with extravagance? Or have we parceled it out in measures here and there, a little bit now and a little bit then? And Maybe I'll feel more like getting involved next week. Maybe, maybe I'll... It's going to take extravagant love. If we're going to be a church that sets the standard, if we're going to be a people that lights the light of Him to the world, it's going to have to be extravagant love. Nothing short. Hallelujah. There will be those who will criticize. There will be those who will do just as they did back here with Mary. They'll get amongst themselves. Boy, don't they think they're something. Don't they think they're spiritual. When was the last time we gave to Him so extravagantly in prayer that we just fell limp in the presence of a holy God? When was the last time we gave ourselves so extravagantly in intercession that when the hours passed, we were so weak? When was the last time we gave so extravagantly that we had nothing left to give? all she had when Mary that day took and poured that alabaster vase of precious ointment on the head of our Savior she gave all that she had would you stand I'm not asking for much Not in terms of 
what you might be able to hand out right now or give. But what I am asking you to do is to love Jesus Christ with extravagance. With extravagance.